0: All right, open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We're actually going to begin reading in chapter 8. This is the same text that we looked at last Sunday, but we are going to spend, I think, a little bit more time in the second part of it today. But we'll read the whole thing again together. So Isaiah, chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. To the teaching and to the testimony they will not speak according to this word it is because they have no dawn they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry and when they are hungry they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their god and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth but behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Good morning.
1: Yes, same text, but we'll be looking at it from a different angle, also spending a little bit of more time in verse 6 of chapter 9. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, God, that during this Advent season we would have a clearer picture, clearer idea of who you are, Jesus, that this year wouldn't just be another year going by of doing the same things that we traditionally do or that we've historically done with our families and friends, but, God, that we would take a moment to pause to think about what you did. In Jesus' name, Amen. Many people are familiar with Christmas and one of the issues that we have during the Advent season is how routine things can be for us. Some of us have lost the wonder of what God did through the prophet Isaiah, how God used the prophet Isaiah to record for us 700 years before it actually even happened, the birth of Jesus. Now take a moment to just think about that, that God gave us this clear vision of the future, of how he was going to set us free from darkness by providing light. To start off this morning, I want to read from John chapter 1, verses 4 through 17, and then skipping down to 23. I think it helps shed some light unto Isaiah's prophecy that we're looking at this morning. John chapter 1, starting in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 23 is in reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The prophet Isaiah was used by God writing about the first coming of Jesus 2,700 years ago. And last week we took a look at what Matthew recorded for us regarding the prophecy of Isaiah verses 1 and 2. That was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Matthew chapter 4 verses 13 through 17, that was talked about last week. So if you want to take a listen to that, you can jump onto iTunes and pull that study up. Moving forward, what are we to do with these prophecies that Isaiah has written about? What does this do for us? Now let's look at the last verse of that section in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 because this tells us what we are to do. And it reads this, repent. That's what we're to do. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. With that light, with Jesus comes repentance. And we see from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 3 that we have available to us this increased joy because of that. Now why is that? We see the reason for this joy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 through 6, which you'll see all begin with the word for. For. Now some of verses 4 through 6 have already happened, but there is this not yet aspect to those verses, to Jesus' arrival, as the finality of them will be here at Jesus' second coming, not at his first coming. So let's just take a look at verse 4 first. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The joy from Jesus' arrival. What we're celebrating during the Advent season is Jesus breaking the yoke of our burden, the rod of our oppression. And we have that right now in Jesus, who has set us free from our sin. Not from the acts of sin, because that sin nature is still in us and we still act out in sin but that holy God looks upon us as righteous people when we by faith accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior who took that sin upon himself but there is this not yet aspect to this in that we still face burdens we still face oppressions from the world but spiritually now we can be set free from them And we look at verse 5, the second 4. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The joy from Jesus' arrival. The reason that we're celebrating Advent is because Jesus is going to bring an end to war. Peace. Bringing everlasting peace. For justice to prevail where things that have been wrong, are made right, to bring about what has never existed in the history of the world, not amongst nations, not amongst even our own relationships, whether they be marriages or family or people at work, amongst our enemies. We can be free from war in Jesus right now, to have peace with God, to have peace with Jesus while the world is fighting. That spiritually we have this everlasting peace that will come with Jesus, but yet again, there's this not yet aspect to it because there's war all over the world. There's fighting all over the world. So the first coming was a peace that he initiated with us, but the second coming is what's going to bring us this world peace, this world cohesion of getting along together. Verse six this is the third four. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The joy from Jesus' arrival, what we're celebrating during Advent, is the birth of Jesus incarnate. We have nothing without the birth of Jesus. The entire Bible points to Jesus. Now let me try to explain this. So we go back to the Genesis account, and we read that God created the world, and it was good. That during this time, sin entered the world; it corrupted it. Yet all along, God had architect, uh, ar- is that a word? Architected, designed a solution to reconcile the world to himself, and he sends his son, Jesus, on this mission that only he can fulfill, that only he can accomplish, and so that was the first coming when he sends his son 2,000 years ago, and whoever believes that by faith will be saved by him. Now presently, we're in this period between Jesus' first coming and the second coming. This is where we're at. At his second coming, Jesus will provide a new heaven, a new earth, where this Place of peace will exist, where there is no war, where there will be no burden or no oppression, where we will live in peace. Now, all of those not yet aspects that were talked about before, those will be fulfilled in his second coming. Freedom, joy, peace, forever, all because of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We'll be going into Luke chapter 2 later on during our Advent series. But let's take the rest of the time to look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 a little more closely and we'll start with that first phrase, for to us a child is born. Jesus fully human yet fully divine. He was born a child to take on the full human form, as he was already fully divine, but being born God incarnate, born to be a mediator between God and men. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. A mediator... A mediator's job, his task, is to represent equally all the parties involved. That's what a mediator does. So Jesus could not represent God just as a man. And he could not represent people just as a God. So Jesus is fully both man and God, and there is this mystery to that. To think that God came to earth as a child, that Mary went through pregnancy and she went through labor to deliver Jesus into the world. That, that's kind of odd to think that God would do that. That Jesus had to learn what he learned. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk. Right? He wasn't just born coming out of the womb and talking like, so Mary, tough labor? Yeah, it's tough, huh? And he wasn't just like came out and just started running, right? Or he didn't even just come out crawling, right? He didn't shout from the womb, like, Mary, I'm coming! (laughs) Like, he's like, he had to develop. He had to mature. He came as a mediator to represent God and to represent us. He came as redeemer. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redeemed so that we might receive adoption as children of God. Some people might not want this. They might not want to be adopted, but the thing is God paid the price for the right for adoption so that if it were to happen, if you so exercise that faith, that it is there. That he gave his only son for that. Now let's go to the second phrase in verse 6. To us a son is given. The son of God. Fully divine, given to us in humanity, in the humility of a child, God's son. God said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this was after Jesus was baptized. And there were eyewitnesses at Jesus' baptism who were there to witness what happened when John the Baptist baptized with others around them. There were also witnesses at the Mount of Transfiguration where God said this in Matthew 17, verse 5. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, eyewitnesses who saw firsthand what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration. We looked at 2 Peter not too long ago. Let's turn back there again. This is what Peter wrote, 2 Peter 1, verses 16-18. through For we do not follow cleverly devised myths, Some people might think, well, anybody can just say that. Anybody can just make this up. But think about who wrote this. This is Peter. This is Peter, who, in the story of the Gospels, is the same guy who denied Jesus three times. The same guy that said, I would never leave you, I will be there. And he took off. This is that guy. So, what happened from that guy to write 2 Peter? Something in him changed. What was it? He saw the resurrected Christ. He saw the resurrected Jesus. Now I know I'm on the wrong celebration right now. That's Easter. And we're talking about Christmas. But that's what changed him. It wasn't the birth of Christ that changed Peter. It was the resurrected Christ. And anyway, both celebrations are about Jesus. So let's kind of mingle them together for a little bit. right? Easter, Christmas not cleverly devised myths. Peter was an eyewitness to it all, not the birth of Christ, but the Mount of Transfiguration, the Resurrection, the Ascension. There is no significance to Easter without Christmas, and there is no significance to Christmas without Easter. Because think about this. What's the big deal about Christmas if there's no Easter? It's just another guy's birthday. So the world is just celebrating a Jewish carpenter who lived 33 years? Like, that's, I mean, why aren't other Jewish carpenters celebrated? Why don't we have like IKEA Day for like carpenters around the world? I mean, why, why does the whole world recognize Christmas? because his birth means something because of his resurrection without the resurrection the birth is meaningless with the resurrection he's alive and it proves that god's plan for redemption of the world through jesus that it worked it worked because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now let's go back to Isaiah, the third part of verse 6. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus took that burden upon himself. Some of us carry heavy burdens that just aren't meant for us to carry. And we carry these things, and some of us have problems releasing our burdens to Jesus just as people back then had problems releasing their burdens to Jesus when he was right in front of their face they assume that Jesus couldn't take these things because how can this average guy from the Galilee region this guy from a disreputable family because who knows who his father is how can anyone like that possibly take a burden from me And we make the same judgments today. How can Jesus take my stuff? How can he possibly do that? And his own disciples that saw all of the miracles couldn't even put all of their burdens on Jesus. Not until they saw the resurrected Christ. Because you remember that they all ran away at the Garden of Gethsemane. That the only guy that got it. The only guy that got it without seeing Jesus Christ resurrected. Who was that? The only guy that got it. The thief on the cross. Even his disciples didn't get it until they saw the resurrected Christ, but the only guy that just kind of got it without seeing this is the guy hanging next to him on the cross, this criminal. So the question needs to be answered every Advent season as we do this annually. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The question isn't who is Jesus to you, Or who is Jesus to me? Because quite frankly, who cares what you think of Jesus? Who cares? It is who he actually is. That's the important question. Our opinions of who we think he is, they're important to the people that they're important to. But for the vast majority, like, who cares? I don't care who you think he is the important thing for us to really think about is who he actually is, who he is. And so every Advent season for us to revisit this question of who is Jesus? Now if he was just this good and wise man, then why doesn't the world mobilize and celebrate someone like Gandhi? If he was a great moral teacher that was really great and dedicated to his life to service and loving people, then why doesn't the world mobilize to celebrate Mother Teresa? Jesus is who has all the authority and all the power upon his shoulder. He bears our burdens and the world's burdens upon himself. And again, there's this not yet aspect to this. And just looking at the world around us, Have our burdens lessened with the advancements of science or education or technology or government or politics or any of the other social advancements of humanity? I mean, we have thousands of years of a track record of just not doing things very well on our own. That continues to point to our need for God. And the more time goes by, it proves that we need Him all the more. Jesus reconciled us to God in his first coming. Our sins were taken upon him. It was placed on him on the cross. Then Jesus resurrected. He ascended to heaven until his second coming. And at that time, what were his parting words? We can look to Matthew 28. People are very familiar with the Great Commission. But I want to point our attention to verse 18 before he gives the Great Commission. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he goes into his Great Commission. But we can't overlook verse 18. A lot of times churches kind of throw those verses out, right? Same thing with John 3.16. They do John 3.16 without 17 and 18. They do Matthew 28 without doing verse 18. They just talk about the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20. All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do we hear that declaration of Jesus? Do you hear that? All authority. So it brings us back to the question of who is Jesus? Because he is either absolutely crazy nuts to make that claim. All authority in heaven and on earth is yours. Are you serious? So either he's cuckoo or it's the truth. And we as followers of Jesus... We're either lunatics for believing what we believe, or it's the truth that we're following God. A God who is further described for us in verse 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Anyone of significance in this entire world is surrounded by wonderful counselors. Any world leader is surrounded by good counsel. Every important, significant person surrounds themselves with a counsel that helps them to make the best, the wisest decisions possible. And here, Jesus is not saying that he's surrounded with them because he doesn't need it. What he's saying is, I'm that. That within himself is all wisdom. That within himself is the best discernment. Now, let's hop over a couple of chapters to Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2, this is going to give us some more insight about Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the epitome of wonder, of counsel. He's the epitome of that. It's challenging to fully grasp this description of Jesus because when we think of wonder... I don't know, maybe it's just me and how I grew up with like the League of Justice or whatever. I think of Wonder Woman or Wonder Bread. Think of wonder, you think of those things. And the way that we've used words, we tend to use them so much that they lose their meaning. Here's the latest one over the past couple of years, the word epic. I don't know about you, it drives me crazy, right? You hipsters that use epic all the time, it drives me Because it's used for the smallest things. That cup of coffee is epic. No, it's not. It's good. It's not heroic. I mean, that's what epic means, right? Come on. Anyway, I'm off my, my horse now. In the Hebrew language, the word translated to wonderful is defined as that in which God acts. That's wonderful. That in which God acts. Where God is at work. That it is of God. For example... The wonder of God parting the Red Sea. Now that's wonderful. That's a wonder. And the problem the Israelites had, the problems that we have, is that we forget the wonders of God, but the wonderful things God has done in our lives. The person of Jesus embodies all of this wonder, embodies all the counsel. That we can possibly need in our life. The problem is that Jesus is not who we turn to all the time. That we turn to other things. We turn to other people. Look back to Isaiah chapter 8 again. In verse 22. And it says this. Who looked on the earth. And if you look a few verses earlier. I think it's either 18 or 19. It talks about them looking to necromancers. Or looking to people who are like trying to discern spirits and things like that. That we look to other things. We don't look to God all the time when we actually need to. And people continue to look to the world. People continue to look at other things. All these things that actually bring distress and darkness, gloom, anguish. And they're thrusted into the darkness like Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22 shares with us. Rather than looking to the wonderful counselor who has these answers, the best place we can ever get counsel from is Jesus himself. That is the best place. There is no better counselor than Jesus Himself. The best counsel you and I will ever get is from Jesus. Ask him for it. He'll provide it to you. And here's the thing: He's way cheaper. <laughs> that therapy that you know that we get, like he's so much cheaper. And here's another thing: no appointments. Just do it. You just go ahead and ask. Right? You don't, uh, no availability for six weeks. I'm going to go crazy. No, you just ask him. You just start talking to him. Ask him. He's always available. Anything you want to talk about, he is the wonderful counselor. And his name shall be called Mighty God. Here's the thing about wonderful counselors. They can give you counsel, but they can't do very much about it, right? You pay them all this money and they talk to you about things, but they don't actually help you do something. They kind of advise you on what you should do, but they don't actually do it for you. And so here's the awesome thing about God. He's the wonderful counselor that can actually act on it because he's mighty God. He can do something about it. It's not just like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hmm $200, please. He's mighty God. So that when you actually talk to him about this stuff, it's not just lip service. It's not just talk. He can do something about it. He can act upon the counsel that he's giving. It's a good thing to give wonderful counsel. But how much better is it for someone to actually help you in acting upon it? To actually be there, mighty God. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 24. We're just going to read through 27. You guys are very familiar with this story. It's when they're in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus goes to sleep and these guys are afraid that they're going to get killed because of the tempestuous storm here. Verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Wonderful Counselor. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Wonderful Counsel. Mighty God. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He doesn't just ask, like, why are you afraid? He's actually going to do something about it. He is Lord over all. Now back to the question that we must all consider during this season of Advent. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Because this is either all a lie, made up stuff, or it really happened. It is truth. Now, if this is proven to be a lie, take off. Just leave. Don't do this stuff anymore. This is a a waste of time. But if it's truth, surrender your life to follow mighty God. Continuing on, the descriptions of Jesus. And His name shall be Everlasting Father. Now this isn't in reference to the Trinitarian Father as in God the Father. This is describing an attribute of Jesus as an everlasting Father. That as Messiah, he has these Father-like qualities to whom he has saved to whom he has provided for that we have been adopted as children and we will be with him everlasting and him taking care of us providing for us he will never forsake us never abandon us he will care for us love us for everlasting and here's the crazy thing he'll do this he'll extend this love and care even though he knows who we are isn't that nuts And not just even who you are now, but who you are becoming. And some of us are probably not on a good trajectory. He still even loves that. He loves you completely. He can't love you anymore. And his name shall be called Prince of Peace. This is something all of us want. We all want peace. Generations before us wanted peace. The vast majority of people in this world hope for peace. But we still haven't been able to figure it out. How to live in peace with each other. No matter how many thousands of years of human civilization have gone by. We just haven't evolved that much. We just can't do it. No matter how hard we try. No matter how many sanctions we place. No matter what we do. Like all this kind of stuff. It's just not happening. And it's only through Jesus. Only through Jesus will there be a peace between holy God and sinful human beings. That sin has brought us into enmity with God. It has separated us from God. But Jesus reconciled us to God, bringing peace with God. Jesus did that. But knowing that doesn't mean that we're changed people. We just know more. See, knowledge itself doesn't transform people. It's putting that knowledge into action, into the way we live, that changes us that transforms us many of us know what we need to eat and what we shouldn't eat right i mean christmas is right here and so all the sweets and the cookies and all that kind of stuff and thanksgiving just passed when on that thanksgiving spread you knew what was going to be good for you and what was not you know this we all know this many of us probably all of us since we're in the bay area We all know what exercises we need to do. We all do. We all know what exercise we need to do in terms of getting our health better. Many of us know how important recovery is into being healthy. So rest or supplements or all these types of things. All of us know this. We all know about all these different things. We can even pass tests on nutrition and exercise and all this stuff. The vast majority of us didn't go to college for that. We just kind of know this stuff because this is our craze. Like, look at the gym memberships and all this stuff. We kind of know all this stuff. Here's the question. How many of us actually do it, though? How many of us actually put into practice what we eat and how we exercise and how we rest and the supplements we take and all this kind of stuff? How many of us actually do it? Because if we did, if I did... My body would not look like this. (laughs) It would change. My body would change. If I did everything that I knew, it would change. So I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of knowing all this stuff, but not implementing what I know. So how many people do this spiritually? How much more important our spiritual health? Because I think a lot of us here know a lot. We've been walking with Jesus for a long time. We've studied the Word of God for a long time. You've read the Gospels dozens of times. You've prayed hundreds, thousands of times. You've done all these spiritual things for years. And you can even get convicted about it, because every January 1st, I get convicted about my physical health. Like, oh yeah, I need to do something. I need to do something. I need to do something. And it's been like 12 years. And the only reason why I was in good shape 13 years ago is because I was trying to get my wife. I mean, that was the only time. That's the last time I had an 8-pack. I mean, that's the last time. And I don't think it's ever happening again because I'm not getting remarried so I'm not going to do that (laughs) how much more important our spiritual health because we can even feel the conviction we can know all this stuff but if we don't act we won't change we're not going to change and we can talk about it all day and we can have different feelings about it but that doesn't change us until that faith is exercised in living out what we actually believe Do we truly believe he is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace? Do we listen to his counsel? Do we fear his power? Do we accept his paternal love for us? Do we look to him for peace or are we looking to the earth? Are we looking to the world for those answers? And some may wonder why our world is in the mess that it's in. And it's not getting any better. And it looks to me that the world is being thrust into thick darkness more than it is entering into the light. And it's because we look to the earth. We're not looking to God. And God has so much more in store for us. But it can't happen without Jesus. This Advent season, we really need to define who is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord we are very grateful and thankful that we have this pattern of the Advent season to remind us of who you are. And God, I pray that it doesn't just kind of hit us on a surface level, but that it actually penetrates a little deeper, that we are able to sort through some things in our own life so that it brings about transformation that it's not just another year of hearing more stuff and getting better equipped in terms of knowledge or feeling some sort of conviction because of what's been shared, but God, that things actually take place in our life that actually draws us closer to you, that builds upon our intimacy with you. In Jesus' name, amen.